Welcome to history class. I am very excited about this episode. This is an episode I've wanted to do for quite some time. I have always been interested not only in makeup and beauty, but the whys and the wherefores of it all. So without further ado, it is my pleasure and honor to bring you Sarah, the makeup historian. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this informative episode of Beauty Reform School. Oh, hi. You stumbled across Beauty Reform School, the podcast that explores beauty, style, reinvention, self-care, all from the perspective of the outside looking in. We pick apart the classics so we can confidently break the mold. And I'm your host, Bad Bad, the artist, the educator, the retail grunt, the problem child, the one who's done it the hard way for decades, and now I'm passing the savings on to you. So bring me your tired, your confused, your weirdos, your others yearning to breathe free. If this sounds like you, grab your pen and grab your scratch pad and let's figure this crap out together. Right here at Beauty Reform School. Before we start our chit chat though, I have a few tacks to brass. For one, I would like to send my deepest, deepest thoughts and all my healing energy to Louisiana and all the other places that have been affected by the tornadoes and the flooding that have been, that's been going on. It is scary and horrible. And I just want you to know that we here at Beauty Reform School our hearts are with you, our thoughts are with you, our prayers are with you. Um, I'm not a huge fan of saying thoughts and prayers because it seems so trite and cliche, but yeah, they truly are with you at this time. And I hope we're all able to get out of this and build from this. I couldn't even believe the waters rose in Philadelphia. That's something you almost never see. And I, I couldn't believe it when I saw the water almost up to the bridges. <clears throat> I couldn't believe the floods I was seeing. I couldn't believe that this was even happening in general. Um, so yeah, if you're, if where you live is going through a tough time, you know, I'm with you. And if you can donate and help some of the rescue efforts and some of the rebuilding efforts and the resource efforts for these places that are really going through the worst of it, then I definitely suggest you reach out and do so. In other news, I have officially, unofficially, officially, unofficially, I don't know. I've gone back to quote unquote work and that is a very interesting and strange experience um we have yet to uh 
do the grand opening we had to go back and do you know the getting ready part and everything on me hurts every muscle I own (laughs) is screaming at me at this very very moment and you know I my skin is scrambling (laughs) I'm trying to get my skin back in um fighting shape um, it's not bad. I'll I'll be honest. It's not bad, but you know, it was you know, it hasn't seen sun in a long time, and I gotta tell you, like sunshine does make a difference. Um, even just one day out in the sun, I was like, hmm, look at that. My skin looks a lot more glowy and bright, so that was nice. Um, I'm sure a lot of you are going through that right now, going back to work, going back to um things that were in your what I call now my other life um pre-pandemic and now I'm trying to find that delicate balance with with that and some of the things that I've learned during the pandemic I'm trying to find a very nice blend Um, I've done without I've done away with some of my more negative habits and I like the me that I am now and I like the life I have So now I'm going to have to find a very peaceful, um, good way of marrying the two. So, uh, yeah. Yep. And if any of you all are going through that and you have some good tips for us, please share. Because I would love to do an episode about how we are all doing. (laughs) We're all getting along. Okay. So that ought to do it for now. I think all the tacks have been brassed. And now on to the conversation. Hello, makeup historian. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on the show. (laughs) I'm delighted. I'm delighted. I really am. I've seen you quite some time and I was just like, this is this is the thing that I want and need. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is what we need. We need this. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm curious how you found me. I'm so excited because it's, it's a very particular niche. You know? Usually I'm always geeking out and doing my research for the podcast. That's how it starts. Mm-hmm. And um, along the way, somewhere in a deep dive, research deep dive, <laughs> You know, I, I was looking up the history of something, and mm-hmm. there you popped up. There you popped up on a on a Google search. <laughs> Good, yeah, that makes me so happy. I'm mm-hmm. and happy that there's an interest in the topic, and to find someone who shares the passion as well. Oh yes, I always uh, I make I make the joke. This is a true story though, but I make the joke that <laughs> my first word was why. <laughs> I like that. And it stuck. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's been my, my favorite word ever since. Why? You yeah. Know? I always want to know why. Ooh. No, I, I'm, I'm very similar. I'm always curious about things. <laughs> right. So tell us how you even got started doing doing what you do. Like, just tell us about it. I'm all ears. Yeah. Well... You know, I get asked that question um, a bit whenever I do interviews, and I I never feel like I have a pretty answer, you know, for how I arrived at this 
career path. Um, it was kind of a messy process, but one that I'm very thankful for. And basically, the simplest way I can think to put it is when I was about 18 years old, I really started to develop a love for makeup. And I honestly wanted nothing to do with college. So I made a deal with my mom that if she would pay for makeup school, I would get a bachelor's, you know, kind of like a trade-off because I really didn't want anything to do with college. But my mom was very adamant about that I had to get a degree. But my love and passion was makeup. And that was what I wanted to do for my career. I wanted to be a celebrity makeup artist or create a makeup company, you know, so it started off as just a, a trade. And, and my mindset was makeup, makeup, makeup when I started college. But mm -hmm. then my very first semester, I took a United States history class and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I think a lot of it had to do with the instructor. Um, he kind of set the bar really high it like ignited a passion. And then I just kept taking history courses as electives. So that was kind of how these journeys of pursuing history and pursuing makeup kind of really started at the same time. And I really had no idea. I, my intention really wasn't to blend them at all. I was mm -hmm. just doing what made me happy. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. the, the simplest way I could put it. Um, because I was young, you know, and I didn't really know. I was just like, I got to get a bachelor's, but I want to do makeup. And then just kind of had a weird way of blending together. And eventually I transferred over to Cal State Fullerton and continued on with history, continued to fall deeper in love with it. And then I decided to go for my master's in history. And that was when I really started to get the idea that, hang on a minute, maybe these two passions of mine can blend together because I started to realize a topic that really was not well documented within historical discourse was cosmetic history and not just makeup, but all cosmetic industries. Well, I think tattooing is probably the best documented out of all of them, yeah. but my, yeah, my interest was more on makeup and hair care and skincare. And mm -hmm. throughout that process, I tried to write about cosmetic history for my thesis, but I ran into, I, I had, I learned, unfortunately, that from a historical perspective, makeup is really, well, all cosmetic industries are very difficult to preserve and document because the nature of them, the products, more likely than not, you know, they're designed not to last. <laughs> yeah. So that makes it very difficult to research and write uh, historical articles or books about different cosmetic industries. Right. And that was, it was kind of this long journey of just pursuing my passions. And then I think by the grace of God, they ended up blending together <laughs> and right. I was able to turn a career, you know, or turn it into a career, but that really wasn't my intention, but it's also why I, I, tell my own students now quite a bit that I'm a firm believer that your passions lead you to your purpose and that the path isn't always going to be clear cut or obvious to everyone else. But if you know your intuition is telling you it's the right thing to do, you should continue on with it. And I'm very happy that I trusted my own intuition because now I have this awesome, 
in, um, you know, opportunity to study different parts of cosmetic history. And that also led to the creation of my own podcast. So, right. That was very long winded. I hope I answered well no, you enough. You did. You did. You absolutely <laughs> did. I would imagine too, though, that um, the because of the fact that people have their, you know, their patents and their other things, I think it probably would be a little difficult to document too much because they're not going to give up their formulas and mm-hmm. things like that. So you you wouldn't even. I mean, you'd get the basic history of how the company started, I guess, and maybe you would get like how people used it along the way or, you know, you know, their business, the business end of things, but I guess they would, you wouldn't really know too much about ingredients too much. Like you might know some ingredients, but not like a lot, I would think. Cause you know, the cosmetic industry was very private, you know? Mm-hmm. No. And you definitely, you hit on something um, very that I run into a lot and that I like to say kind of, it's one of the blemishes of the topic um it is, wait i didn't get that it's one of the what the blemishes oh of yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. cosmetic history <laughs> right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah because they uh, companies don't and it's understandable they're thinking about it from the business standpoint and i and i completely understand and i'm that annoying historian who is like well i want to document <laughs> right <laughs> you know? right right um so really the only times uh I think that we will really be able to get true discourse about a particular cosmetic company or a particular product um, in regards to what's going on at the molecular level would be if a company went out of business. I think that's really the only way to really get some good sources on that. And I honestly think we're kind of in the midst of figuring that out right now because a lot of what happened during COVID, or is still going on is a lot of the consumers started to ask for cleaner products because we've had a lot of product recalls, um, a lot of class action lawsuits about different products that are harmful. So my, my guess is that probably within the next 10 to 20 years, there will be more information coming out about specific products and what's going on at the molecular level. Um, but my, my other guess, too, is that I think a, a, another reason why people don't want that information to or different companies don't want that information to come to light is because private labeling is a really big thing right. in, in cosmetic industries. So I don't think they really want to tell consumers that sometimes products really are the same, but there's just a change in fragrance. Mm-hmm. And if there's a change in uh marketing you know packaging then they can charge you more but really at the molecular level there there are products that are exactly the same um but it comes down to branding and um things like that so i think those are some of the blemishes different companies don't want to talk about but that will more information about that i think will come to the surface in in upcoming years yeah because um during some of my deep dives, um, I learned that, and this is something that, you know, cosmetic companies do not want you to know, but um, in, a, in a lot of cases, 80% of the price of a product is the packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially when it comes to luxury brands, you know, 
definitely. That's that's most of their money goes into the fragrance used and the and the packaging, the beautiful glass container and all the fancy schmancy packaging and boxing and all that stuff that goes with it. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. what you're paying for most of the time. Like that's, you know, and granted they do use, you know, probably some higher quality ingredients for certain things, but it's the the difference is very slim unfortunately. Mhm. Yeah. No, I agree with you entirely. And mm-hmm. I think that maybe that's another reason why it's so it's been so difficult to really document a uh, cosmetic history right. because it's very secretive. <laughs> yeah, they don't want to I mean they obviously don't want to tell you that, you know. It's mm-hmm. that that's going to that would put a big giant dent in in their their margin profit margin you know because people would be like oh i I knew it you know like okay so i'm Mm -hmm. just really paying for the packaging okay well i'm just gonna get the cheaper product then Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and if there's nothing wrong with wanting some luxury like i'm I'm all for luxury you know it's (laughs) nice to treat yourself every once and again if you want a pretty thing that's fine but you got to go in with your eyes open you know yeah I completely agree. I know. I mean, I'm the same way. I like to indulge in some nice things every so often. Mm-hmm. But I think as I get older, my emphasis is more on, like, to me, luxury is uh, better skincare rather than products. Yeah. So I think as how men and women define luxury changes quite a bit as they get older based off of socioeconomic status, you know, things like that. There's lots, and this is why I love cosmetic history because it prompts so like larger discussions about economic, political, cultural realities mm-hmm. we don't really think about or that we don't always associate with cosmetic history. But that's why I love the topic and love studying it. Yeah. I actually had a question that that recently just came to my attention and I wanted to get your uh, your thoughts. Um, just recently I read an article that said that they are changing, (sighs) they're changing the, uh, kind of the, the, the tag words for certain skin bleaching products and they're changing the terms, um, to use words instead of like whiteners. They're mm-hmm. using the term to like brighteners and lighteners, which mm-hmm. is problematic because usually brighteners and lighteners refer to things that help lighten hyperpigmentation and brighteners like hy- like vitamin C and things of that nature. And if you start taking bleaching products and using the term lighteners and brighteners, that's going to cause a lot of confusion mm-hmm. for skincare clients. You know what I mean? And oh, I definitely. wanted to just know, like, your, what you think about that? Um, it's concerning. It's a least. From different, I can look at it through several different lenses. It's concerning from just the ingredient standpoint, you know, being very misleading about what it will actually do to your skin and that it could be, you know, it's kind of, you're at risk of, uh, picking something that might be harmful to your skin or damaging because of the change in marketing and and, uh, vernacular. But then it's also, you can look at it through a political lens as well. Like Mm. that, 
Oops, I'm sorry. Someone just drove down the street really fast. That's okay. You're good. <laughs> you heard that. <laughs> um, but through a political lens, it seems like that change is being um, enacted due to present day political discussions. And right. I think that, so it's like, I can look at it through that um, kind of, uh, consumer lens, but then also through a political lens, and both of them kind of lead to it's. It seems it just makes me concerned. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're both problematic. Both reasons are problematic. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and there is that is definitely one of the, I think one, another one of the major blemishes of cosmetic history as, as an entire field. When because one of the, um. I mean, when I say that, I mean that there have there's a long history of products that are specifically designed to lighten skin, and then that prompts discussions about what does that say about what a society deems beautiful, and that's problematic too. But right. as a historian, it's very telling about it's it's not good, but it's a helpful tool for historians to understand the everyday realities and the more intimate aspects of a culture and what is going on psychologically. So I think documenting that change is, you know, that change in vernacular, change in marketing is very important because it's something that we can give historians 20, 50 years from now to better understand what was going on today. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Yeah, yeah it's, um, you know, that's been an issue, like, worldwide, by the way, side note. Mm-hmm. That's been an issue worldwide. Um, lots of different uh, cultures and countries have uh, heavily relied on skin bleaching um, for the, all the same reason, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. for the same reason. Um, but they've all heavily relied on skin bleaching and things like that. And the average person might say, well, I didn't even know that was a, a thing. But it so is. And... Um, you know, it, it really, really is. And it just, it gets me that now we are in 2021 and now we're trying to like sweep skin bleaching under the carp under the rug, um, Mm -hmm. by changing the words. And that's disconcerting to me, you know? Yeah. 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 That's an issue. You know, like that's not how you fix that problem. No, that's, that's definitely not how you fix it by hiding it and being like, see, it's all gone. Yeah, <laughs> that's not what you do. <laughs> it's very, yeah, it's true. It's, con- it's concerning. And I, I don't, I, I wish I knew the answer. I'm not exactly sure why there is a bigger push to kind of put that on the sidelines or push it out of people's attention right now. But that that is something I definitely would like to research more. Why yeah. why now and why such a big push to do mm-hmm. this? Well, on the surface, I think you kind of nailed it. I think it's sort of like, uh, I think it's a bit of pandering. I think it's a bit of like political posturing and like maneuvering mm-hmm. to try to give the appearance that things are not things that are improving. And things are not quite the way that they used to be, but mm-hmm. really, you're just you're just wearing you're just wearing a mask now. Now you're just hiding, and that's 
I, I'd much rather have a, a product on the shelf that was called skin bleaching than not, you know, mm-hmm. because at least I know what I'm looking at. Yeah. You want, you want transparency about what yeah. the product is really going to do. <laughs> right. That, yeah. And, and, and also for people who are learning, you know, people who are learning about skincare, they're learning um, a certain vocabulary and a certain language. And well, that's, that's yeah. going to confuse them. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, when I was, when I was in store, I was teaching language to my clients and I taught them that brightening and lightening referred to vitamin C and other things for hyperpigmentation. I did not <laughs> teach them that brightening and lightening meant you're going to be bleaching your skin. Yeah. So that, you know, that's a pro- like that bothers me. Like, it's like, so now people who, who knew another language, like if they don't, if they don't catch up with what's going on, they're going to be confused and they might find themselves buying a product that's really a bleaching product. Mm-hmm. And that bothers me. So I agree. That bothers me as well from multiple perspectives. Um, just as a historian, we, we teach history students to put a huge emphasis on defining terms correctly, to be very specific about what you are referencing so that through from a linguistic kind of perspective that it's concerning because it's it's prompting a lot of confusion. Yeah. Yeah, I it mean it could be harmful too. Like if someone has more a more sensitive skin, that could yeah. be very harmful. It definitely. Bleaching <laughs> bleaching your skin is just oh, I <laughs> I don't that sounds so like painful and harmful. Yeah. I wouldn't I think it's sad because it it could lead to some really um, someone damaging their skin, yeah. you know, causing some, some injuries. And I, that's, that's very concerning and misleading. And I think companies who are doing that need to be, um, I think that they should, I don't, I think that's kind of a cop out in my mm-hmm. opinion, work yeah. around to be more honest about what your product is actually doing. And for this, for, from a safety perspective, primarily, because you really could harm someone by being misleading with how with your marketing. Mm-hmm. And you know, bleaching, especially not bleaching correctly and things like that, can lead to discoloration of the skin that is that can be permanent. So, oh, wow. Hmm. So that's just you know, I'm just like you know, that's just, huh. that's a problem, people. And don't you know? And just to change the change the language just because you're trying to you know pull something off you know you're trying to pull off the old okie doke that that is extra annoying you mm-hmm. know because that's that's yeah. not that's not why you know if they had a better reason for why they wanted to change the words that would be one thing but they don't it's a bad reason period mm-hmm and I think it highlights a, a very prominent trend throughout all of cosmetic history, really, is that there honestly is a very strong relationship between cosmetic trends and politics. Mm-hmm. They're very, there's a very strong relationship between them. And that's something that was very surprising to me when I first started to really dive into my own research. I didn't, I wasn't thinking about that, that there would be such a strong connection to political discussions. But mm-hmm are intertwined uh, many times throughout world history. <laughs> yeah, I did a, I did an episode a while back about the red lip and I got to learn 
how many people use the red lip for rebellion and for protest, you know? And then it's just funny to me because, you know, just as someone who likes makeup, I'm like, wow, you guys just like settled down and said, okay, we no red lips over here. Like, we don't like them. Just no. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. Why? Like, like, like what, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I granted that back then they didn't have a lot of shades to choose from. So they just, they mm-hmm. were like, I guess, I guess rose pink is okay, but red is out you know they just were like yeah yeah and it's you know red lipstick is one of my favorite trends to study because it is so polarizing and it's fascinating to me how it has stood the test of time taken Mm -hmm. on different symbols and it trend and how like how you were just mentioning before the rise of uh, industrialization and more synthetic materials being used in cosmetics. Obviously, red was really one of the main only choices you had. Yeah. <laughs> right. very few because we were creating products with uh, organic material only. So obviously, it makes sense why that would be um, the leading color for for lipstick. But I I think it's interesting. You know, why has it continued to be? one of the top selling lipstick colors, even after the introduction of synthetic material and uh, the rise of consumerism, industrialization, urbanization, why does it still have such a, why is there still such a strong attraction from men and women to this color? And why is that color? So why do we always put it on the lips? You know, I've always been kind of like, why isn't it red eyeshadow? There is red eyeshadow though. Oh, there totally is. But I don't think it's become popular really until, I mean, I, I would say maybe like in the 80s, it really started to get yeah, yeah, sure. popular. But, uh, you know, it, it does exist, but I, do, I just don't think it has as much of a, no. like a hold, you know, like kind of that draw, that attraction yeah, as yeah, yeah. it does. But yeah, but that, I mean, red lipstick, it's continuously one of the most fascinating products to to study, in my opinion. But it, And it has been, like you mentioned, time and time again, used as a symbol for all sorts of different political movements throughout, and not just American history, you know, different yeah. throughout world. Yeah. Definitely. I have, two, I have two geeky little um, opinions on that. Um <laughs> One of my opinions is that, um, you know, in in our culture, in American culture, you know, sex sells, right? Mm-hmm. And that color, the color red has been, you know, it, they say it's the color of love and, you know, all that stuff. And it's, it's the color red is to inflame and excite and whatever. So because sex sells so much, then I think that's why red lipstick always... Um, you know, always is, has such an impact because it is a stunning color and it's very attention grabbing and it's considered to be like a part of the sex cells costume, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the starlets of the forties and fifties definitely did make the red lip, like kind of like Marilyn Monroe and her gang made the red lip kind of like, I feel like they made it eternal. I feel like that after Marilyn Monroe, it's like the red lip will forever be there forever. 
Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's just no, it's, it's just a staple. It's not going anywhere. Like, no, you can't shake it. Maryland's been gone a long time, but that lip is forever. So, you know, mm-hmm. I just think that's, that's one of the things I think nobody wants to let that go. I think that's like a piece of nostalgia that they don't want to ever let go. And it's, it's, it now it's just being marked as like the classic look, you know, that's why they call it the classic red lip. You don't ever hear, you might hear classic nude, you might hear that, but no one thinks of it as much as the classic red lip, you know? I, definitely. Mm-hmm. But my other thing about that, though, is when I was like looking back on, you know, why people, not makeup itself, but like why makeup was applied the way that it was. And um, I was thinking back to, uh, and this is, it, this kind of makes my skin crawl when I say it, but it's true. So I'm just going to say it. <laughs> yeah. um, two things. One, the way that makeup was applied in, you know, when it was first getting applied, you know, in the States or whatever, it was kind of to mimic childhood. Um, mm. Rosy lips, rosy cheeks. Um, things of that nature you you know lips weren't dry like baby's lips are dewy and you know you wanted this lip and that's why like when they were just using rouge for both the cheek and the lip that that's how they applied it they put it on the cheek they put it on the lip and they were trying to mimic like a cherub look a child look childlike look um then of course makeup got exaggerated over time and it became more mature but that's originally how they were doing it you know and then the like the smoky eye and things like that were taken from like you know Egypt and coal liner and the Mediterranean and they were mimicking that look so it's like then they got kind of merged together so like that smoky eye and that red lip stayed you know but then like once once they once they were able to get lipstick proper like in a pot and they were able to like paint on a more dramatic lip like in the 20s then it kind of took on another personality. But in the beginning, it was just kind of like, I want to look young. So in order to look young, I'm going to wear, I'm going to make sure there's color in my lip and in my cheek. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I think that's, it's, you know, it's not just attractive from a cultural standpoint. It's, there's psychological aspects to why that, so why it stands the test of time. And it's, you know, connected to youth, um, fertility, sexuality, right. connected to all sorts of different things, but polarizing things as well. So right. I think it's like, it's very attractive, but it's also slightly dangerous. Like there's, there's mm-hmm. so much connected and, or associated with just this one trend and this placement of this one color on the human body that yeah. it's, it's very interesting. And, and you are, and something I also think that's interesting that I wasn't anticipating when I first started researching it was just how it's not just popular amongst women. There's a long history of, of men wearing red lipstick too. It's, it hasn't really been as long or consistent as, as it has been with women, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting to me that even men have engaged in this particular cosmetic trend. Yeah. Well, it's also funny. Um, I can't even remember what I was watching recently, but they, we were talking about uh, makeup and men. And then I was thinking to myself, like, <clears throat> pardon me, men have been wearing makeup for way longer than we all care to admit. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Yes, there's lots of evidence and, and cultural heritage that suggests men have been wearing makeup uh, for centuries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not that unusual in general because, like, I, as I always say, you know, it's just nature because in the animal kingdom, the men tend to get most of the plumage, the males tend to get most of the plumage and they tend to be the fancier of the two. So it's not unusual for men to do that, to adorn themselves and, you know, wear makeup. That's not, that's not odd. Like, I don't know why people keep making it look, making it weird. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a thing. It's just yet another thing. Men wore wigs, men wore makeup. Let's just all get over it. Yeah. And I think maybe part of like the present day, resistance to admit that is because I think a lot of people today when we say the term cosmetic we usually only think of makeup but from a historical perspective and just kind of the basic understanding of the word it it really means to alter the appearance of your body so that could encompass hair care skin care tattooing cosmetic surgery or like the list of just basic human hygiene so obviously under that definition, that umbrella, men yeah. have also been engaging in cosmetic practices for centuries. Right. And I think that that also, I mean, it's just from the biological standpoint, that makes a lot of sense. Men are, you know, from a biological standpoint, they're competing to reproduce. So they uh, engage in different types of, uh, of adornment. Right. So I think, yeah. There's there's lots of evidence that suggests men have been engaging in cosmetic practices for centuries. <laughs> right. And also, and I say this a lot on this podcast, if it's not your thing, then don't worry about it. If someone <laughs> does that and you don't get why, don't worry about it. It's not your concern. It's not even your issue. Just keep going and doing whatever it was you were doing. Don't worry about what they're wearing. It's not, it's not for you. Don't, don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. They didn't call you first thing in the morning and say, Hey, I'm thinking of wearing this. What do you think? They didn't ask you just go ahead and mind your business. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying like, you know, yeah. I see people get so up in arms and such a huff about it. And it's like, look, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm no angel. There have been times I've gone out and I've seen someone wear makeup in a way that is not my particular taste or style. And I just go, oh, okay. And then that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I go on about my business. <laughs> it might not be my thing, but okay. You know, you like it. I love it. Whatever. Yeah. No, I yeah. completely agree. Yeah. It's self-expression, you know. Please tell us your podcast and where we can hear it. Perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My podcast is called the makeup historian and you can find it on all major podcast platforms. And I'm also in the process of getting it up on YouTube right now. So that's slowly, but surely we're getting there. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm also really excited too for the next season. I'm trying my best to have all the interviews be so Fingers crossed with that too. But the the main focus of the show is to showcase honest discussions about the beauty and blemishes of our society. So it's kind of a new take on traditional oral history interviews. And really, it's a fancy way of saying, we're not going to shy away from any topic. We're historians here. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's great. Bingo. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait for the next season. I'm I'm looking forward, and I want. I hope everyone else will head on over there because you know I like to geek out over here, but Sarah can get a lot more in depth. So definitely no, go over there and check it out. Thank you. Yeah, and I I truly enjoy your show, and thank you so much for having me as a guest. It was an honor. Thank you. I you know what I. I just, this, the best part about this podcast is getting to talk to people like yourself. Cause I like, I love getting people's stories. I love getting perspective, but I just love the fact that you're doing what you're doing and it's great. And I'll probably be referring to you quite a bit when I'm doing research. <laughs> so oh, of course. Just be prepared. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so happy, you know, to have found someone who shares this passion as well. And I'm always here. I can't wait to see what what the future holds for you. And I, I, I share your research with me because I, I love to geek out on it as well. So I will. I will likewise, I will message you if I ever have a question of something that you've done or something, but I also, you know, if there's, and I'm giving you an open invitation to come back anytime, if you would like to talk about a specific subject or a specific thing, that would be fantastic. Yes, actually I, I'm in the process of trying to um, get the Museum of Cosmetic History off of the ground and COVID really threw things off. But my, you know, maybe in a year or so, we could revisit that and kind of do an update on how the museum development is going. Oh, yes, that would be amazing. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I love all aspects of beauty, but I like I like the underbelly of beauty. I like to look underneath the pretty veneer and really like dig dig around in there because you know I, I think beauty is great for people it helps their self-esteem it makes them feel beautiful it's creative outlet all of those things but I really think we need to really understand where why we're doing what we're doing you know mm-hmm. yeah. I completely agree yeah yeah I would love to be <laughs> yes absolutely it's a date <laughs> it's a date <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Sarah, and I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us here at Beauty Reform School. Of course. Anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly enjoyed talking to Sarah and... I will be de- I will definitely be having her back so we can dig even deeper and look into all kinds of interesting topics. If there's a topic that you want me to ask Sarah, by all means, please, please, please write to me and let me know and I will share as many of these questions as I can with her the next time she comes. Um also, as usual, I would love for you to continue sending me people to talk to continue sending me stories i'm always on the hunt um i'm glad i found sarah but i you know i love getting um, referrals from you all and i love getting stories and all kinds of interesting questions for us to have to make episodes about so i would love for you to either send me questions send me people send me stories do you know how to do that no i will tell you you can send them to one of three places. You can even set, either send them to Instagram at Beauty Reform School 
or Facebook at Beauty Reform School, or you can go directly to the source at beautyreformschool.com. I always try to think of something really inspirational to say or something hopeful to say, but I got to let you know the truth. You know, I am, I am out of my head and I'm spinning because so many things are happening. And I understand that a lot of us are going through the very same thing, just trying to find a tether. I don't want to say that we're trying to get back to normal because normal wasn't good to begin with. But we're trying to get back to our new normal. We're trying to find that perfect blend of the life we had, the things that we enjoyed from the life that we have, and blending them with the lessons that we've learned to create a brand new normal. And we can do it. One of the things that I always tell my friend when we talk is I say, you know, this, how you doing? How you taking it? And I say, I'm taking it in 10 minute increments. So if you're struggling, I suggest that for you. Take life 10 minutes at a time. Just get through the next 10 minutes. And then when you're done that, get through the next 10. Sometimes life is way too chaotic and way too big for you to deal with it all at once. So just take it in little bite-sized pieces. And if we do that, we'll get through it together. So thank you for your listenership. And thank you in advance for your listenership in the future. And pencils down. Class is dismissed, and I'll see you next week.